Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. We're all looking for ways to save, especially on medical bills. But where do you start? Unless you're a medical billing expert, finding savings can seem impossible. HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance and flags errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. Saving starts with knowing where to look. Visit HealthLock.com today before you see another healthcare provider. On September 14, 2014, 23-year-old Hannah Witheridge and 24-year-old David Miller, who'd only just met by chance on Katow, were talking at the AC bar. The pair, both from the UK, left the bar together around 1 a.m. It was the last time either of them was seen alive. Early the next morning, on September 15th, a beach cleaner found their partially clad bodies. David was floating in the water. Hannah was found on the sand, the waves lapping over her. Detectives discovered a garden hoe covered in blood near their bodies. An autopsy revealed that David had scratches on his back and water in his lungs, indicating he'd drowned. Hannah's body was covered in wounds, bruising, and scratches. Their deaths sparked international outrage and questions about a lack of justice on Katow. Welcome to Death Island, a production of KT Studios and iHeartRadio. Episode 8, The Case of Hannah Witheridge and David Miller. I'm Connor Powell, an investigative journalist at KT Studios with Stephanie Lidecker, Courtney Armstrong, Andrew Arnau, and Jeff Shane. So it's been a few episodes since we touched on the murders of Hannah and David on Kotal. But... I think we need to revisit their deaths because as we've been working on this and producing this series, some new information has come in about their deaths. And it has to do with the DNA evidence that led to the conviction of Wei Pio and Zhao Lin. 
two Burmese migrant workers were arrested and charged on Friday with the killing of two British tourists on the Thai island of Kota. The arrests come amid mounting pressure on police to solve the murders. Thai police have come under international and domestic scrutiny for their haphazard handling of the case. Both Wei Pio and Zhao Lin could face death sentences if convicted. Veteran international journalist Sarah Yoon, who lived on Thailand for eight years, reported on the arrest and subsequent trial of the Burmese immigrants. The biggest thing we found strange was the size of these two Burmese men who were smaller than a normal Western female, maybe five foot three, five foot four, and um, very small. And given how tall the male victim, David Miller, it was kind of impossible to believe that these two men would have overpowered him, supposedly during an amorous moment on the beach, and killed him. So the doubt was being seeded into our mind straight away and the fact they said they didn't do it. According to Thai police, Wei Pio and Zhao Lin initially confessed to the murders, but some say the interrogation had issues. The first potentially problematic part had to do with the interpreters that Thai police allegedly hired. The interpreters for the police, who they said they were using to talk to Waifo and Zolin, did not speak any Thai. Their comprehension of Thai was almost you know, incomprehensible, and they could hardly speak any Burmese. They were pancake vendors that the police said they'd used to be present during the interrogation of both men. What language do they speak? They speak a dialect, a Burmese dialect which is not normal, common Burmese, and which was not what either Waifo or Zorlin spoke. Interesting. And both Waifo and Zorlin said that the interpreters didn't understand them, and they were asked to sign all sorts of papers to admit their guilt, and they didn't know what they were signing, and nor did their translator. And under Thai police law, a translator in a police station must have a state-recognised certificate, and neither of these two did. Author and journalist Sue Buchanan lived on Thailand for years and wrote the book The Curse of the Turtle, the true story of Thailand's backpacker murders. She shares her thoughts on the interpreters. They had two interpreters, one of whom is Rohingya, and he was a pancake vendor, and he doesn't even speak Thai. I mean, when he was giving evidence of their interrogation at the trial, he himself had to have an interpreter. So his language skills were useless. I mean, what, what was he doing there? This guy's Thai skills were so rubbish that when he was in court, he had to have his own interpreter. 18 days after initially confessing to the crime, Zhao Lin and Wei Pio withdrew their confessions. According to Zhao Lin's letter, which is here in front of me, they were just beaten up and attacked and, and hurt and told, you know, you have to confess to this. If you confess to this, you'll only do two or three years in prison. But they had no legal representation during that interrogation. The defendants said they were tortured. They said they had that genitalia was flicked very hard. They were told that if they didn't agree, they were going to be put inside rubber tires and the rubber tires would be set on fire. They were told they'd be put in a black bag and towed along underwater until they were dead. They were flicked on the ends of their feet. There was a whole list of things that they said had happened to them. The cellmates testified to their injuries all over their chest. The police officer in court who was asked about this confirmed that a doctor had been called for YFO after his initial interrogation, but no doctor had ever come forward. The Human Rights Thailand had summoned the Royal Thai Police five times to talk about the potential torture of these two men. No police officer ever came, according to them. YFO said that they told him that no one would care if he died because he was just another Burmese worker and that if he was burned alive... No one would care and no one would probably know for a couple of years. 
Tom Stone was able to covertly film interviews with Wei Pio and Zhaolin in prison. He did this for his documentary, Murder in Paradise. Here he is speaking with Connor. You also interviewed Zhaolin and Wei Pio in the prison. Talk about the experience of getting in the prison, but also talk about interviewing them and how they responded to your questions. So the interview in the prison was uh, took a huge amount of planning. I've run lots of undercover investigations. I've gone undercover myself. I've sent lots of other people undercover. And they require really close cooperation for the team on the ground and a lot of planning in advance. And you have to go through quite a complicated process in the UK with your lawyers getting what we call public interest uh, evidence in advance to, to, to justify invading people's secrecy and secretly filming them. So long before I ever set foot in the prison, I'd already written a 25-page document laying out the case, laying out the areas of concern and why it was justified to take this risk and go into the prison and try to secretly film them. So that happened before I even set foot on Coach Howe. But on the day of going to the prison, I was very nervous. I was very apprehensive. It was high stakes on lots of levels. It was a risk to me. But in truth, there was a far greater risk to the translator who was helping me, because if she had been caught or I had been caught with the cameras, then she would have been almost certainly imprisoned along with me. And while there would have been lots of people back home making a great deal of noise about uh, helping to get me free, I imagine there'd be less for her. But the people who's, who the risk was greatest for were YPO and Zorlin, because if it was ever perceived that they were somehow in alliance with us, then they might be in even greater jeopardy than the potential death sentence that they were facing. So when I get into the prison, it's very early in the morning. I've got two secret cameras. There's sweat rolling down the back of my neck. I find that there's an incredibly long queue and I actually miss the first slot because there's so many people who visit the uh, prisoners that day. Now that's a big problem because secret filming kit has a limited battery life. On one of my devices, it was only 45 minutes. And so now I have to make this very careful decision about, do I risk going to the loo and trying to change battery in my device? Will I be spotted? Uh, or shall I just risk it and see if it lasts long enough? So clock's ticking down. I know I'm going to get into the second session. Eventually, the first set of visitors leave. And then the door goes back. And I set off and I go in with the translator. And I go down this narrow corridor. And at each window, as I go down, I see people waiting for their visitors. And eventually, I, uh, I see... Wai Pio and Zor Lin. And so the first thing that strikes me as I'm walking down the corridor is that the two Burmese men are tiny. You know, I'm only five foot eight and they were well under me. And this only might be an initial impression, but it's very, very jarring when you know the violence of the crime of which they've been accused. And it is completely at odds with the idea that they had used a garden hoe to violently kill two people and rape one of them because they're so small. And I tried in the little bit of time that I had whilst using a telephone and a translator to get through a few crucial things from the case. But there is nothing like, as a journalist, seeing these things for yourself and seeing the whites of someone's eyes when you put these questions to them. The other thing in the limited amount of time I had them, I was able to get into and which they were willing to give details on is they talked about how they were, how they say they were tortured whilst in custody. They talked about being burnt, they talked about being threatened, and it sounded, it sounded terrifying. 
Thai Police Major General Suat Jenyadsuk refuted the accusations that Wei Pio and Zhao Lin were tortured. Here's a portion of his audio taken from Tom Stone's documentary. It's not true. When they are in our custody, uh, we send them to the hospital to make a report, the record about their physical, there's no bruise, even their statement or even asking for any doctor. So can you tell me 100% that neither Zulin or Waifo were tortured? Yeah, sure. And they weren't the only ones of the Burmese community to say that they had been abused while being interrogated and asking questions, correct? That's right. When the investigation kicked off, you know, uh, uh, probably a day or so after Hannah Witheridge and David Miller's bodies have been found, the police went to a well-known area on the island. It's a clearing in the middle of uh, some trees where the main part of the Burmese community is located. And the local police have been accused of intimidating and attacking uh, local Burmese people. One person we were given provided photos of who had apparently had boiling water poured on him. Lots of people were bruised. I was given lots of photographs of bruised, bruised various body parts. I mean, the accounts that, that, were, that were given were absolutely appalling. And the overwhelming message from the Burmese community and their supporters was that they were being scapegoated, that they were a con convenient target for this investigation. The hacker group Anonymous obtained footage that appears to be Thai military police interrogating a Burmese migrant. Anonymous has learned that the Thai police have accused innocent people before and would rather blame foreigners or migrants for such crimes so as to protect their tourism industry. Here is a quick video of General Prayuth Chanaka's military men under him showing just how much the Thai military views Burmese migrants. I'm watching the video now and I'll describe what I'm seeing. The Burmese migrant is wearing a black and white striped shirt and is sitting on a rock. A man in a uniform is slapping, punching, and kneeing him in the face. The Burmese migrant worker is putting up only a little bit of resistance, trying to defend his head from the blows. There are soldiers standing around laughing. And then there's a brief pause. They stop for a second. And another one comes in and kicks the migrant worker in his head. A third soldier comes in and starts slapping the Burmese migrant worker in his face. And then all three of them come in, punching, kicking, and slapping him all at the same time. No wonder the Thai military general blamed this crime on migrants. As mentioned before, it is part of Thai culture to blame migrants, especially from Burma. Let's stop here for a break. We'll be back in a moment. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid Mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge 
indulges your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com slash iHeart. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty System for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Journalist Sarah Yoon also interviewed Wei Pio and Zhao Lin while they were in prison. I managed to see them, and I asked them then, had they carried out this murder? 
that I spoke specifically to Zorlin, the larger of the two boys, and I asked him if he'd done it. He said no. He said they were on the beach that night. He admitted that they'd been spending, it was the payday. They'd been spending the money that they weren't going to send home. They had a bottle of wine. And then he claims that they went for a swim and then they went home and they didn't see anything on the beach. So he did look very scared, very nervous. And um, and one thing he said as I was leaving, he said, I really can't spend my life in prison. I didn't even get to sleep with a girl. And I laughed at him with him at the time and said, you know, don't worry, I'm sure things will come to light and, and you will leave. But then later I thought, what a strange thing for a young man to say when he's been accused of rape and also murder, that his biggest regret was that he'd never even slept with a girl. They were very scared, obviously. They wanted messages to get to their parents, which I did. And then they asked me to come back again because they felt like they were just going to be forgotten now. Sarah Yoon continued to visit the men while they were waiting for the trial to begin. At one point, their parents came over, which is an incredibly sad moment. And I went and spoke to both parents who insisted that the boys had absolutely no prior criminal convictions and they had never done anything like this. Zorlin's father was very ill and he didn't come, but Waifo's father came and he subsequently died while his son was, was still in prison, which is very, very sad. But they cried outside the court for almost an hour at what was happening to their children and said that this was not unusual for people from Burma to end up in these situations, but they were horrified, obviously. But then it was simply a case of waiting for the trial. On July 8th, 2015, the trial of Zhao Lin and Wei Pio began. Journalists had difficulty gaining access to the proceedings from the start. Now, what the Thais tried to do to limit international coverage of this trial was to put it over individual days. So in one month, there might be two days for them to go to court, and then the next month, maybe nothing, and then the month after, just two days together, and then the next month, just three days. Is that common in Thai trials, or is this unique to this trial? I understood from the um, Thai reporters who were there, it is not at all common and had never happened before. But unfortunately for the Thai authorities, I lived 10 minutes from the court. I mean, it seems like the Thai authorities during the trial are trying to make it as difficult as possible. And the only reason to conclude is that they don't really want coverage. Obviously, as journalists, we try to find some reliable indicator as to whether the information being presented is true or false. It, it was very apparent from the first day of the court case that the police investigation was flawed. One of the pieces of evidence presented by the prosecution involved David and Hannah's cell phones. One of the other things that we're trying to sort of clarify is the issue of Hannah's mobile phone. The police general, Somyat, claimed that investigators found the phone in Waypio or Zaolin's room, but there's a a claim that that phone was turned in by Hannah's friend to the police. Can you just explain what you understand about the phone? Here again, Sue Buchanan. So first of all, the police said one of the boys had, had Hannah's phone. They found it. Now, on the night of the murders, Zorlin told me that he and Wei Pure were out with Muang Muang. They were all on the beach. Muang Muang, or MG MG, he works at AC, which is Mon's bungalows. He wanted to borrow Zorlin's motorbike so he could go and visit with his girlfriend. So Wei Pure and Zorlin were left alone on the beach. When they decided they wanted to go home, he'd not returned with the motorbike. 
so they're left with no motorbike, they're, they're left with no transport. It was too far for them to get back to their own area where the Burmese live. And Muang Muang, he was living in accommodation for staff provided by Montuat's bungalows. So they walked to his bungalow and slept in his bungalow. The police said they found Hannah's phone behind that bungalow and someone had, had thrown it. And we we're like, well, hang on a minute. We have got photographic evidence of Hannah's pink phone with Hannah in Chopper's bar. And there's photographic evidence of Hannah's travel companions handing that phone in to the police. And we have a picture of that phone on the police desk. So we're like, that, like this can't be true. Then they changed their story and said it was David's mobile phone that was found behind the bungalow of Muang Muang and not Hannah's phone. So that, you know, they even got that wrong. But one of the two, Zellen or Waypio, did admit to finding David's phone. Is that correct? Yeah, so Wei Pure said that he found David's phone on the beach. He picked it up, it was smashed, it wasn't working. The Thai police said Zhao Lin and Wei Pio had intended to take David Miller's black iPhone 4, but later found that the device couldn't be used in Thailand. Police say they smashed the phone and discarded it behind their living quarters, but it's not clear whose living quarters the police are talking about. In many of the statements, it sounds like the police are referring to their friend Mao Mao's living quarters, who lived in a bungalow on Montrawat Tavichian's property near Sari Beach. Wei Pio and Zhao Lin, they didn't live there. They lived in a migrant camp far away from the beach area. But they did spend the night at Mao Mao's. But the bigger question is, why would Zhao Lin and Wei Pio smash the phone and discard it when they could have sold the phone for at least a month's salary? And if they were concerned about possible incrimination, why would they keep it or discard it anywhere near where they had been? I don't know whether he was going to try and get it fixed or sell it or return it to its owner, you know, but he's never denied having it. Now, if I'd have murdered somebody, I would deny having their phone. You know, they don't think they've ever found his fingerprints on it or anything like that. You know, I, why would you admit to having somebody's phone if you'd killed them? Why would you take their phone if you'd killed them? Like, if I'm going to kill you, I'm not going to start, you know, unless I'm a serial killer and I'm looking for, you know, um, trophies, I'm not going to start taking your possessions and then just lobbing them behind my bungalow where someone could find them. A, I wouldn't take them, and B, I'm going to dispose of them in a way no one's ever going to find them and link me to that crime. Also with the phone, it's clearly identifiable to a person, and it can be tracked through GPS. I mean, like, it, if you're murdering somebody, the phone is like the last thing you want to be connected to because it can pinpoint a whole lot of information that, you know, would get you caught, essentially. Yeah, exactly, but they weren't even sure it was David's phone, and eventually the National Crime Agency in the UK gave them the information to say it was David's phone. They, they did that, and that's illegal because they're not allowed to give evidence that can help someone get the death penalty. So the British broke the law. You can just Google that, you know, it, it's quite clear. It's, it's documented in the yeah. press that the British broke the law by the National Crime Agency giving that information. But even if it is his phone, you know, Waypure never denied having his phone. I mean, Waypure is not, you know, university educated, but he's not stupid. Waypio came across David Miller's iPhone on Sari Beach, according to the prosecution. This put him in the vicinity of where Hannah and David were murdered. But there were a lot of people on the beach that night. The prosecution's case also relied heavily on DNA evidence. Jonathan Samuels covered the trial for Sky News. I very much look at the facts that I've got in front of me, and I try and um, be as impartial as I possibly can. And I did cover the start of the trial and I heard the prosecution's case. And when you listen to the case against these two young Burmese migrants, um, it is very strong. DNA was found 
at the scene in Hannah from both men. Um, both men's DNA was found on a cigarette butt found at the scene. David's phone was found at the home of one of their friends. Both confessed. There was a huge amount which pointed the finger towards these two young men. What there wasn't really was a motive. They had no previous convictions. There were no witnesses. And the other thing that struck me when I saw them get is they both looked petrified. They looked tiny. They looked so young. And David was a big guy. You know, he was a big, well-built guy. And I did wonder how these two slight Burmese youngsters could have overpowered someone as big as David. So all that sort of went through my mind as well. But certainly the evidence that the prosecution put forward was very strong and the defence really struggled to come up with anything to counter it. On the surface, the prosecution's DNA evidence looks strong. But upon further examination, there are some who believe a lot of it may not hold up. Again, journalist Sarah Yoon. For instance, they pretty much hung this case on DNA. But when they went to court, they announced in court that there was no DNA on the alleged murder weapon, which was a hoe. But they said that the reason that they said there was no DNA on the murder weapon was that they'd looked at it in, under a magnifying glass and they couldn't find any DNA. Now, obviously, you don't have to know a lot about DNA <laughs> to know you're not going to see it under a magnifying glass, necessarily. The police claim that Zhao Lin and Wei Pio were perfect matches to the DNA found at the crime scene and on Hannah's body. We found inside the body, we found the secret. That's so many, that's enough for us. The biggest thing that at the time was they pulled me aside for an interview, the police, and they told me that they had sent DNA samples to Singapore and they had received 24 hours before they'd sent them and they'd received back an affirmative that the DNA samples completely matched these two men. And for that- Wait, hold on. In 24 hours, they got DNA samples back from Singapore. Exactly. The the police um, spokesman told me, we sent the samples yesterday, which was a Friday, to Singapore. And we got the samples back this morning, which was a Saturday morning. And um, they completely match the two boys who are standing there today. And that is why they've been arrested. And we know they did it. And I have this interview on camera. And when I said, I don't think it's possible to get a match back in 24 hours. I think sometimes that takes anything up to two weeks. And he said, no, they have special technology in Singapore. That's why we sent it to Singapore. And we were therefore able to get it back in 24 hours. Now, by the time that went to court, there was no mention of Singapore. and They hadn't even given it to the Thailand National Forensics Laboratory. So what was said in that interview on that beach was 100% incorrect, according to the police chief who attended the court case. One thing I did say to him was, as I understood it, there is never a direct match on DNA and you can only get a 99.5% match and that has to be deemed circumstantial. And he said, uh, yeah, 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 but it, it was a match. It's a, it's a match. We know it's them. Thai police testified the samples were received on the morning of September 17th and started a DNA extraction at 8 a.m. local time. This seems unlikely as the pathologist only started his autopsy at 11 a.m. The successful profiling of the two men was announced around 10 p.m. 
It suggests remarkably rapid analysis in less than 12 hours from samples in which at least three people's DNA, the victims and two men, were mixed. Connor asked forensic expert Joseph Scott Morgan for his take on the speed in which the results were received. One of the other things that struck me and, and Andrew and others that we've read and talked to people about this is the quickness in which they turn DNA evidence around. And I'm sort of curious, there's references to having this results back in less than you know, 24, 36 hours. Is that possible? If you think of it as it has to leave the island, be sent somewhere else, process, and then results back. Is no, that is that no, just bullshit? No. Yeah, I think it is. I think it's complete bullshit. We cannot judge this based upon 2022. Okay? Right. Let's just go back to 2014. But back then, you'd be looking generally at a six to eight week window. The DNA samples themselves could potentially have been compromised by the way they were handled. But remember, there were questions over the collection of DNA at the crime scene. One factor to consider, there were people walking all over the crime scene after Hannah and David's bodies were discovered. Six police officers that were on that island at the time aren't really equipped for a complicated murder investigation. Now that becomes significant because the forensic evidence in the case of Wai Pyo and Zoe Lin will be absolutely crucial. You know, they will say in court that it was a 100% match from that crime scene for Wai Pyo and Zhao Lin. So the inability to look after that crime scene properly will have an enormous bearing on the credibility of the investigation that we know that from what was heard in court, that there were several mixed DNA samples. Now, that's really important because that means that on one sample, when they're trying to detect one person's DNA, it's very hard to untangle that from another person. Another thing that was very interesting from day one was there had been no chain of custody on the DNA samples. So when you take DNA from someone, obviously it has to be signed over to someone else and signed over to someone else and signed over to someone else. So by the time it reaches a testing lab, you know exactly that that DNA sample has not been um, tampered with. But in this case, fully admitted in court with absolutely no sense that this was something that was wrong, they admitted there was no chain of uh, custody on the DNA, so it could have been anybody's DNA. On July 10th, 2015, the defense lawyers requested to retest the DNA samples received from Hannah Witheridge's body and from Zhao Lin and Wei Pio. And when the defense asked to retest the samples that they had taken, the police chief stood up in court and said, sorry, it's been used up. And, and when asked by the judge what he meant by used up, he answered and said, it's used up, there's nothing left to test. No, it's all gone now, nothing for you to test. Again, Sue Buchanan. The ties are known for getting rid of evidence that could exonerate the people they've decided are guilty. Like in the case of Wei Pure and Zorlin, you know, they take the samples of DNA supposedly from Hannah. We have no proof those DNA samples came from Hannah. They tested them um, and then they promptly lost them. They amplified part of them and lost the rest. And then when the defense wanted to independently retest the DNA, they were told, well, we've lost it or it's been used up. There's none left for independent testing. We've only got amplified samples. Well, the amplified samples, we don't know which string of DNA that came from. And while it very well could have matched all in and way pure, it matched about 9 million other people. So you can't say with one amplified sample, one amplified mixed sample, without any supporting evidence, documents, probability studies, that that matched the boys. It may well have matched the boys, but it probably matched me and you and everybody listening to this podcast. 
And there are questions about some pieces of evidence that either went missing or were never tested. The defense also argues that the police failed to test a number of items from the crime scene, including blood on the rocks and sand and Hannah's clothes. Hannah's underwear was missing, even though that the police said that they'd had it as evidence when it got to the court, they didn't have it. And she was reported to have a lock of hair in her fingers when they found her body, which obviously could well have belonged to whoever assaulted her. And when they got to court, the police chief, who was Lieutenant Colonel Somsack, admitted that there was a lock of hair taken from Hannah's hands, but the sample had been lost. When the judge said to him, what do you mean lost? He said, oh, it's just gone. We don't know where it is. It's just lost. Let's stop here for another break. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melanin, Melon Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty System for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. 
Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. This brings us to what police claim was the murder weapon, a garden hoe. The defense says the top expert from the Central Institute of Forensic Science in Thailand, Dr. Porntip, to examine the murder weapon. Dr. Porntip reveals to the court that she has retested the garden hoe. She says she found DNA from David Miller and another unknown male, who is neither Zor Lin nor Wei Pio. Here's a portion of Tom Stone's documentary, Murder in Paradise. In it, you'll hear Dr. Portnip saying, From the pieces of evidence that are sent to me, there is only one that is relevant. That is a hoe. By examining the DNA found on the end of the hoe, the DNA profiles that are detected belong to two humans. Both are male. We compared it with the defendant's DNA, but they did not match. The result is that the DNA belonged to two men, but not the two defendants. The defense forensic expert said that she'd found another sample of somebody else who was not YPO or Zorlin. And I think that reflects just how difficult it was at the crime scene to properly rope it off, keep other people off the grounds. And we don't know what happened after David Miller and Hallow Willeridge had died. We don't know who else had passed through at that time. We don't know what other contamination issues they might have had. Here's what one Thai major general responded when asked about the quality of their DNA analysis. I have no idea why people doesn't uh, believe in that uh, evidence. We, we did it in the laboratory. We did it with uh, the specialist. The equipment that they use is uh, come from uh, European standards, things like that, comply with ISO something I cannot remember. But Sue Buchanan says the defense's forensic expert pushed back against the way the prosecution was presenting the DNA evidence. She was sent the garden hoe and she tested it. And she said that the two DNA samples she found on the garden hoe didn't match Way Pure or Zorlin. Now, you can argue that those DNA samples of Zorlin and Way Pure could easily have been washed off that garden hoe. But if you're washing a garden hoe so thoroughly that those DNA samples have gone, how come, you know, David's DNA was on there and another Asian male has not been washed that thoroughly? You would think that if they were hanging their case on it, they would have made sure that they had a tight case with international organizations or at least their own national forensics laboratory would have agreed. And in this case was interesting that the, the National Forensics Institute in Thailand testified for the defense. So as soon as that happened, they at least closed down the DNA argument. Overall, forensic expert Joseph Scott Morgan has five words for the forensic evidence gathered in the case against Zhao Lin and Wei Pio. It's an absolute train wreck. And it seems like it keeps repeating itself over and over again. Joseph Morgan brings up one more important detail that should be considered. Remember, they've put forth this idea of, uh, of sexual assault, okay, on this poor young woman. 
and a disfigurement of her face. Whoever did this would have potentially been bathed in blood. Let's just say that you have an individual who has facilitated this. They're going to be potentially saturated in blood. These are fine pits of evidence. If they're walking away, you can actually have passive blood droplets that are being you know, cast off from the hands or just dripped passively as they're walking away. Can you imagine the wealth of information? If you had taken the time to survey the scene, you had these, remember, we saw those images of the blood where the body was kind of resting in the sand. What if you had a trail concurrently with footprints where the individual is walking away and you've got droplets of blood that are leading away? Well, that stuff is very minute. If you have everybody and their brother walking through the scene, the slightest scuff on the ground can compromise any of that very delicate evidence that's left behind. So that's that's the kind of thing that you're looking at. It's it's very it's very delicate work. And I want to make sure I understand you correctly. What you are saying is is if our convicted suspects probably did wield this hoe, they mm-hmm. would have been covered in blood both on their skin, their fingernails, their hair, and more importantly, probably their clothes. Oh, absolutely. And again, I go back to the intimacy of this assault, Connor. We're talking about very horrendous sexual assault. And admittedly, you know, one of the things that the authorities have put forward, uh, this poor young lady was struck in the head in order to initially kind of stun her so that this horrendous event could be carried out. We don't know the volume of blood that issued forth from her body, but I know this. The head is one of the most vascular areas of the body, both internally and externally. Ask anybody that's ever split their scalp open in any passive thing, you get blood that's going everywhere. It looks like a horror show. In our research on this case, we couldn't find any evidence that Wei Pio or Zhao Lin had clothing covered in blood. The next day, Zhao Lin and Wei Pio reported to work and they didn't have any marks on them, right? Well, if they did, nobody noticed them. I mean, bearing in mind, you know, two massive brutal murders have just taken place. I think if anyone turned up to work with scratch wounds and bruises and looking like they've been involved in a fight, then, you know, they're going to be suspects, aren't they? And I spoke to both Wei Pure and Zorlin's boss, and they both confirmed they turn up to work as normal the next day with, you know, nothing unusual whatsoever. And, you know, if you committed a crime of that magnitude, would you really spend the next two and a half weeks? sitting on the island when there's eight or nine boats leaving every day and you can go back to your family in Burma. More on that this season. If you have any information about Hannah Witheridge and David Miller, please contact us at producers at kt-studios.com. For more information and relevant photos, follow us on Instagram at kt underscore studios. Death Island is produced by Stephanie Lidecker, Connor Powell, Andrew Arnau, Jeff Shane, Chris Kakaro, Gabriel Castillo, and me, Courtney Armstrong. Editing and sound design by Jeff Trois. Music by Vanacore Music. Death Island is a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. 
Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss In the Land of Saints and Sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the land of saints and sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. Watch it now on digital. Rated R. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.